how many of you love Easter? How many out there, you, you feel obligated to say that? Right? It's Easter morning. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I do genuinely love Easter. And if I could be totally honest, you don't have to agree with this. But as a Christian, I think Easter is the greatest holiday of the entire year. Three people. Yes. Thank you to the three of you. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to agree with that because you're like, dude, did you go out on St. Patty's Day? I'm not sure it really compares. For kids out there, anybody Christmas time with the presents, you're like, that's the greatest holiday in the world. Any Fourth of Juliers? Yeah, come on, man. Fourth of Juliers, you like the barbecue. Get out there when it's nice and warm outside. But I believe Easter is the greatest holiday. And the reason is I think we sometimes, if you consider yourself a Christian, we've heard the story of Easter so many times that we forget the power of it. That, that more books and literature, movies and songs have been written, made about the story we're about to look at. And we can forget the significance of it. If you happen to be new to the story or you're watching online from somewhere around the world and you're unfamiliar with it, in the chapters earlier, Jesus had lived for three years and he had trained these young guys who were essentially teenagers in his ways. They would go on to change the course of human history and become people that spread the good news of Jesus around the world. But in the days preceding Luke chapter 24, Jesus is taken. He is crucified because they, he's considered a heretic by the Jewish community because they didn't understand how he was fulfilling scripture. We believe that he was fully God and fully human and he was taken. He was beaten, he was berated, he was whipped, and he was made to carry a tree trunk a mile up a hill where he was crucified, nailed, and suffocated to death in front of his family on the cross at a place called Golgotha, which means the skull outside the city of Jerusalem. He spent Saturday in the grave, and on Sunday morning we come together at Easter time to celebrate that when they went to the tomb that morning, they found no body. And so I want to read through that passage, and as we do that, I want you to notice, if you came in here and you feel like, you know what, I could never be one of those Christians that were like jumping and worshiping God. Some, did you see some of them were clapping on beat? It was incredible. Like, you're just like, I could never do that. I want to tell you that the Bible was full of people, and Christianity was spread by 11 guys who were just like you. And God used them to change the course of human history. And it begins in Luke 24. And when you see about four or five times the disciples aren't going to even believe that his body has been risen, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen, that we're all prone to drift. Every single one of us. That's at the heart of what I'd like to look at. You guys ready to study God's word here at the 1015? It says this, verse 1 of Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. We know them as angels. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? A couple of things. First of all, anybody notice that it was only the women who showed up to the tomb on Easter morning? Anybody faithful or thankful for faithful women out there? Yeah. Now, it doesn't take them as long as the guys. The guys are a little slow here in this passage. 
But even the women messed up a little bit when they first went there to the tomb because they're carrying, at least in verse 1, they're carrying spices. Why do they have spices? Because they were going there to treat the dead body in the tomb. They couldn't do it on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. So the first thing Sunday morning, faithfully, they were going to be there to do it. They didn't expect him to be risen, even though he had told them that's what would occur. So the women, now they're going to turn it around pretty quickly. But within just a few days, they had drifted away and no longer really remembered what he had told them. So similar to you and I, look what happens next in verse uh, 6 here. They meet these angels. He said, he is not risen, or excuse me, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. A little tangent here. Anybody ever do the math on this? When it says on the third day he would raise again, uh, many math majors out there, he was crucified at 3 o'clock on Friday. They go there by like 6 or 7 a.m. when the sun comes up on Sunday. I'm no math major, but that's less than 48 hours, right? What's this whole three-day business? But on the Jewish calendar, because it started on Friday and it happened on Sunday, to make sense of the passage for you, they would definitely have considered that to be three days, and so as we say three days, it was actually less than 48 hours that all of the disciples who had followed Jesus forgot everything he had told them. Isn't that crazy? And we get to, to verse 8, and it says, I just find this ironic. Then they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, he did say that. <laughs> right? Like, how do you forget that? Like, if my good friend came to me, if Eric Maitland's like, hey, dude, I'm going to tell you I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die on Friday, but I'm going to raise again on Saturday, I would probably remember what he had said. But they had quickly forgotten his words. And they had gone to look for the living among the dead. The question I'm going to ask you, and I'm not going to come back to it till the very end of this message, are you, uh, why do you seek the living among the dead? Are you looking for life in things that actually bring death? That's at the heart of what I want to discuss with you today. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every individual person who came out today. For the families that got the kids ready, dressed them up, got them in the car, got them here on time. And it just it can be overwhelming sometimes to do such a simple thing. And yet we've all made it here together. So we pray you'd honor this uh, short time we have together. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. God, I, I pray that you would speak to what's really going on in our life, that we could be honest and real today, that this isn't some show or some fake thing that we're doing. Pray it be life-altering to us wherever we're at, in this room or around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking about this passage and how the disciples here, as I said, multiple times are going to forget what he did. And, and we're going to walk through all the times that they forget. But I realize that we're not too different today. In our culture, in our society, we get distracted, we lose focus, we forget about the purpose and the reason that we were created in the first place. And the Bible uses this analogy of God as our father and the relationship he has with us. And when I was thinking about that analogy and I realized, man, if I was God and praise the Lord, I'm not, I would be so frustrated with my kids. I would be so frustrated. Be like, I told you this like 20 times. Anybody, uh, any dads out there or anybody have their dad with them today, I'll tell you, I know this would be frustrating for God because I am a dad of three children. They cannot remember anything ever. Like I told you to pick up those toys like 12 times. You're going to lose the technology, I swear. 
And then here's how nuts my kids are, okay? I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with them. And my wife actually told me I was not allowed to share the story at Easter. But we're being real today, and so I'm just going to share it anyway. And I want to tell you, I'm going to refrain from some of the terms, but you all got to know what I'm talking about. All three of my kids did this really weird thing where somewhere between the age of one and two, when they would be at nap time, if they, can I say this? I'll be honest. They would dirty the diaper. They would take the diaper off, and they would take the things that were in the diaper out of the diaper. We all tracking? And they would wipe it on anything they could find around them. Now, my daughter, who's really sweet, and she's five years old, to be honest, she only did this like once or twice, and it was, it was kind of dainty. My boys, they put the monkeys at the zoo to shame, man. I can't make this stuff up. It was like, it was like a war zone. Taking it, throwing it around the room. The worst time was when my son Jet, who's turning three tomorrow, he's the cutest, funnest kid in the world. I got a picture of him. Uh, yeah, man, he's just a lot of fun. And uh, about a year or so ago, some of you know this story, I, we walked upstairs because he was being quiet during nap time, but we knew he wasn't sleeping. And parents, you know, it that doesn't good things. So we walked upstairs, and before we opened the door, we could smell the room. And I opened it, dude, I'm not making this up, everywhere. It was like he had the Mary Poppins bag, and it just kept coming out more and more on the carpet. It was like he was making his own personal pan pizza right there. After hours of cleaning and all of the chemicals in that room, we were like, oh, thank goodness, it's finally done. A week later, I walk into the room. I'm not making this up. This is a true story. I walk into the room. I can still smell it. I'm like, where is this coming from? I start going like parent on him, and I'm like, I'm going to smell it. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm walking around the room, and finally I get over to his dresser. My son, who at the time was maybe a year and a half old, had figured out his dresser is five foot tall. He was like this tall at the time. He figured out how to put his legs up on the wall, press against the dresser, shimmy five feet up the dresser, pull himself up on top of the dresser. Then the only thing on the dresser was a lamp, and he would unscrew the light bulb from the lamp, and it was laying next to the lamp. He had taken the things from the diaper, and he had put them into the light socket of the lamp. What is wrong with my children? That's insane, isn't it? You remember that show, Kids Say the Darndest Things? That is the, so not true. Excuse my language, but kids, I love them to death. I love my children. They do the dumbest things. What's wrong with my children? And then I think about this passage that we're going to read through. And we read a little bit where our Heavenly Father had to have been sitting there going, I told you this like 10 times. I put it in the Bible for generations and centuries so you would know what was... Jesus on the cross, his last words and all of the gospels are pointing you to that he was the Messiah, that he was doing this so that you could spend eternity with God. And just 48 hours later, the disciples had forgot everything. Isn't that kind of how we are as God's kids today? 
We can forget what he's done, what he's going to do. We're all prone to drift in our life, to lose focus, to no longer remember why we exist and what we're doing and, and what this life is all about. That's what I'd like to talk about. The question that I'm asking is, where are you drifting? Because we're either drifting towards him or away from him. The disciples had followed him for three years. Within 48 hours, they had completely drifted away from him. And the first point I'd like to make is that we're all, not just some of us, not just the good or the bad people, we're all prone to drift. We, we all were created for a reason, and, and we can know God, some of us who are Christians, and yet years or, or days or weeks later, we can drift away from him. Look what happens to these disciples in verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, these women, they told all these things to the 11, right? Judas is gone, and to all the others. There were more than just 11 disciples. We'll read more about them in a moment. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, I've thought a lot about this. I really don't think there was anything sexist going on here that they didn't believe because they were women. They just had totally lost hope that God would actually raise from the grave. They had been so hurt by his death. Man, I invested three years of my life into this. You ever been hurt? If you haven't, you probably haven't lived long enough yet because it's going to happen. And so many of us as God's kids, we, we get angry and we get hurt and we blame him and we blame other people. And right when we need him the most, we turn our back and run the other way. I know because I've done it. We're all prone to drift. Even Peter here in this passage, the one who he says, you're my rock and the church is going to be built. He'll become one of the early leaders of the Christian movement. Even Peter here dra dra excuse me, drifts massively. Look at verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So the women tell him this testimony that he's risen. He doesn't go, oh, yeah, you he totally told us that was going to happen. Yay, God. No, he runs to the tomb, most likely because he thought somebody probably stole the body. And he's bewildered, like, this is bad enough. Invested three years of my life, and now he's gone. Well, what? Now it's, the body's gone. He's just utterly amazed and perplexed. Maybe some of you have been there. And remember, this is the very guy who just a few days ago who told Jesus, don't talk about suffering and dying because I'm going to protect you all the way. I'm never going to leave you. I'll never be ashamed of you, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he even chops off, in one of the Gospels, he chops off this one young man's ear, Malchus's ear, because he was so adamant in his faith and devotion to Jesus. Of course, by Friday, he denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows, just as Jesus said he would. And on this day at the resurrection, he still doesn't remember or believe because he's so broken and hopeless and angry, most likely. He can't really receive that good news in his life. And maybe you've been there. Some of you have been there. Some of us have been there a long time. The Bible teaches us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we talk about these things today, it's not to lump on shame or guilt or to say someone is more righteous than another person. But it's to be honest we can dress up, we can put the pastels on, we can do all the fun Easter things and have Easter baskets and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is we're celebrating that he actually rose from the grave. And that if we believe that and receive that, it changes our life. But we're all prone to drift. Some of us can do this very quickly. We can go from one Sunday to the next Sunday. We could be a totally different person, right? 
Like Sunday gets here, we're all excited, we're clapping on V, praise the Lord, and then we hear this message, and we get really excited, tears coming down, we're like, oh man, Jesus, I'm going to live for you, and then Friday night hits, right? And like church person, gone. <laughs> A new person showed up, by next Sunday, we've drifted. Some of us, we can drift so quickly, we can drift by the time we get to the parking lot today. Come on now. If we don't get this service out on time, if that children's check-in takes more than a few minutes, if you get to that parking lot and that person coming to church pulls out in front of you and there is a weight out there, all of a sudden he is risen. He is risen indeed is gone. <laughs> right? And it says, get out of my way. I got to get to brunch. Man, he is risen indeed. Right? Like, they we could drift that fast. The disciples, it took them less than 48 hours. Acknowledging that is a step to actually see God show up in our life. And I just want to tell you that I thought, man, I can't share this stuff and not apply it to my own life. Throughout my walk with Jesus, I, I have taken steps forward and steps back, and God's grown me, and it never goes away. We're all prone to this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we're broken vessels. And so I want to tell you, man, I was just thinking about this, and I was like, God, i got to apply this to myself. Just within the last month, I told my wife, you know what? We, we're doing well. We're 10 years into marriage. We've got a good thing going. Three kids. Why, why don't we... Uh, let's do this devotional together for 30 days. And I ordered these two books, and I was like, in addition to some, like, devotions on the little app I'll do, I'm going to do this to, like, you know, really invest the Lord into our marriage. And I was four days in, four days of 30 before I was like, hmm, I'm getting kind of busy. Got Easter weekend coming up for the pastor. Don't really have time for this devotion, God. You know, we're doing okay anyway, and I've got my own. And I began to make all of these excuses. And as I was studying this passage the last two weeks, I was like, man, we are all prone to drift. It happens. Disciples within just a few days drift, and they forget what he had said and what he was going to do and everything that had happened. Number two, if you're taking notes, we forget what he did. We're not just prone to drift. We forget what he did. That's what they did. Anybody ever have a prayer be answered before in your life? I want to tell you, I remember distinctly as a 19-year-old for the first time I had given my life over to Christ. I wanted nothing to do with him before. I couldn't wait to get away from church when I was a kid. And I experienced this moment with God. And I remember the first time I prayed a prayer. I was about to go out to be uh, performed for my very first play I had ever done in my entire life, at least that I remember. And I was going to be Banquo in Macbeth. Any Shakespeare fans out there? Two, two at this service. That's really fantastic. I remember I was about to go out, and uh, anytime I share this, I love to share the lines. This is literally what I was about to do. You ready? You didn't think you were getting Shakespeare this morning, but you never know what's going to happen at church. I walked out, and my lines were, How far is the cult to forays? What are these so withered and so wild in their entire? Look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet are old. Live thee? Or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me by each at once your choppy finger laying upon your skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. Thank you. That's the worst rendition of Banquo and Macbeth you will ever get. A lot of eye rolling going on after that. But I wanted to share because literally that's what I was about to do. And as a 19-year-old, given Shakespeare, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. I prayed, God, man, give me a piece here. 
And you can explain this away. I don't think God cared about that play. I don't think it was anything to do with it. But I believe he saw his child who was actually asking God to show up in his life. Pray, God, give me a peace because I, I just don't know how to do this. And I'm telling you, it was instantaneously, this peace just came over my life. And I went out there and I was able to do it. And it was probably about as bad as what I just did. And yet I felt such at peace with that whole moment. You ever experienced God showing up and answering your prayer? How quickly, number two, we can forget what he did and where he has shown up. And we get up and it was two weeks later, all of a sudden I'm like, God, I forgot about that prayer. I got new prayers. Where are you at? God, you need to answer it. Got a lot going on. I don't know where you're at in life, and it can get frustrating, certainly, and I don't want to make light of anything, but the reality is the disciples, they forgot very quickly, just a few days. And look what happens here to these disciples who are walking along the road to Emmaus in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed because uh, before God and all the people. They're like, are you the only one that doesn't know? How do you not know this? And it's literally Jesus walking with him. And if you skip down to verse 25, look how he responds. It's almost like kids do the foolish things sometimes. He said to them, how foolish you are, verse 25, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Guys, you've forgotten what I did that quickly. You've forgotten how I'd showed up. The disciples, they really had no excuse either. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal a guy who couldn't see, a person who couldn't walk. Literally days before the crucifixion, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. They knew he had the power to do it. And yet they forgot what he had done. In their life. Some of you, you have known about God, but over time, as we are all prone to drift, you have forgot what He has done in your life. And like all of us, we get distracted and we begin to live for things that don't truly bring us life. And we're going to come back to that. The third and final point I'd like to make is this that we forget, number three, what He's going to do. Not just what He did. For us as Christians today, we can remember his crucifixion and his resurrection, but we also have to remember what he's going to do. Because the disciples failed to do that here in verse 36. The two disciples come back to tell the eleven in the upper room, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace, literally shalom, be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Can you picture it? He said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So the, the two women, or excuse me, the three women coming back from the tomb wasn't enough. Their testimony it wasn't enough when Peter saw that his body was gone. It wasn't enough when these two guys come back and share that they have seen Jesus and he explained the scriptures to him. It wasn't enough even now as he shows them, look at my scars, the holes in my hands, right? Like, I can see you. 
Literally, I can see you. How do you not get this? At this point, I would just be so angry, so frustrated. And man, if those were my kids, I'd be like, what is wrong with you? But like any good dad in this moment, he doesn't like kick him out of the family, right? My, my son at three years, two years old, he made some mistakes. I'm not going to kick him out of the family. He's a kid. Some of us, we've made some mistakes. We've drifted away. We've not listened to what the Lord has done in our life. We've turned to him or turned away from him. We've run the other way. And yet look what he does here in this passage. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't chew him out. It almost gets awkward. He's like, do you see this? And then finally he gets to this in verse uh, 41. Excuse me. Yeah, 41. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, you got anything to eat? Like, isn't that kind of strange? Now, scholars know if you look at the next two verses in verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, 43, and he took it and ate it in their presence. It really was demonstrating he had a physical body and he wasn't a ghost. But what I also find interesting is this is the very thing that he always did with the disciples. Hey, you still don't get it? Uh, It's frustrating, but it's cool. Let's, Let's hang out still. Let's have a meal together. That's what we do, because I still, even though you're going to reject me and you're not going to listen and you've drifted so far, you can't even see it. You put boundaries and walls up in your life. You've become jaded to the fact that I told you that this was going to happen. You haven't read the scriptures or listened to them. I still want to pursue you and a relationship with you. And if you are sitting here today and that's you, I don't care. I mean, we have had people that have rejected God for 50, 60, 70 years. We've had atheists and agnostic people who were just wanted nothing to do with God and angry about it. And I want to tell you, no matter where you're at, God still loves you. He's going to keep pursuing you. He wants to hang out with you. And he desires a relationship with you. And I truly believe it was because of his compassionate pursuit of them that we get to this final verses in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled what is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Remember I told you this was going to happen. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures Maybe you have been running from God for a long time in your life, living for the dead things of this world rather than for life, as I'll share in a moment. But I want to tell you, God is still pursuing you. He still desires a relationship with you. And we know that the scriptures to Christians don't just teach that he would suffer, die, and raise from the grave and ascend to the right hand of the Father, but that one day Jesus will return. And he will put this world as it should be. There will be no more pain or suffering or tears or anger or violence or hatred. The old ways of things will be gone. And only those who have chosen to love God back with the depth of the love that he has chosen to love us, they get to believe and receive his grace and mercy because Jesus overcame death itself, that you and I can live eternally in paradise with him in heaven. And we know that the scriptures teach that when Jesus saw the criminal on the cross and say that gave his life to him in that moment, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, that those who have passed before us, if they knew Jesus as their Savior and Lord, truly their spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And that one day when Jesus returns, I believe that the resurrection, the final resurrection will occur and we will have perfected heavenly bodies that will live with God forever. Eric Maitland's going to be six foot four in heaven, baby. It's going to have hair like Fabio. It's going to be amazing. 
that one day, no matter what difficulties you have faced in this life, you're going to get to worship God eternally and finally have that relationship with him that you've always desired. And you're not just going to sing songs forever. You're also going to have perfect relationship with other human beings. There's going to be no more anger or violence or animosity or racism or sexism or any of that kind of stuff. We're just going to love each other. And in the middle of all of that, we're going to be in paradise with one another. That's why, you know, I, I've not been as excited for the next five weeks of a teaching series in a really long time. And I, I don't really do that much self-promotion for the teaching series anymore. I do for Easter and Christmas and that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, man, I have a friend coming, uh, John Burke from Austin, Texas, to share one week. Uh, pastor of an extremely large church down there. My mentor, Glenn Gunderson, is coming from Southern California for one week. Pastor Darren's doing one week. I'll be here for most of the series and going to be teaching as well. I cannot wait. we kick off this Imagine Heaven series. We really look what heaven's going to be like. But I share that with you because I believe heaven is a very real reality. It's not just something that we sing about or that we come together and we wear our pastels and we have our Easter baskets and our Easter lunch and that we forget that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead and that you and I are going to get to share in that resurrection. And the power that overcame the grave could change your life no matter what you're facing. Two things as I close out. The first one, I told you I'd come back to this question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The women took the spices with them because they were, believed they were going to treat a dead body. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? the dead. Some of us are looking for real life. And we genuinely, I see my friends, I see all of us are prone to this in our world in American society today, that if I just had a, a, a better job, if I just get that better job, or the better car, or that nicer house, or I finally get that boyfriend or girlfriend I've been longing for, or if I finally get that child I've, I've always wanted, then I'll finally be happy. If I just if I could just take that, if you just have that. And what the Bible says, that Jesus declares to us in the Gospel of John that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he has come to bring us life and bring it to the full. He doesn't want to ruin your life or to take away all the fun stuff that you do on the weekends or in other places in the darkness. He says, I want you to have life to a full one with meaning and purpose because all the stuff you're living for, you're not taking with you when you're dead and gone. There is no U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't need it anymore. Instead, you were meant to live with purpose to use your time that you have. And it's short and the talents you've been given and the treasures you've received to actually make an impact, to help those in need, to share your faith. I believe in you. I made you my child for a reason. I want you to come home. But you have a choice of whether or not to receive that grace. But so many of us, we get distracted in this life. We're prone to drift and we live for these things that, that we're not going to bring us life truly. And we live for things that bring us death. And, and we realize that and we don't find the joy we're looking for. So we, we turn to things to avoid and escape from this life, whether it's drugs or, or alcohol or other relationships or, or adultery or cheating or we veg out on Netflix or video games or whatever our issues are. We're all prone to drift. And he says, guys, stop looking for dead things and live for things that bring life. And the last thing, I told you there were two. I've, I've never really shared something like this. I kind of like to keep this stuff private. But right before the Saturday service at 5 o'clock, five minutes before I was supposed to get up and preach, 
I started getting this massive sinus pressure in my head. It was just really weird because I never had that happen before. I actually ran to my office back behind there, and I I got a glass of water, took some Tylenol real quick. I have no idea what I said at the 5 o'clock service. And I was like, why why did that happen? And I really believed that God was saying to me, you don't have to believe this, but that people this weekend are bearing the weight of this world and the anxiety and the pressure that comes with that, living for things that don't truly bring life, and it just weighs you down. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus is not just that you'll live with him eternally in heaven, but you can find freedom in this life, that you can face anything, whether it's a death of a child, a loss of a job, a loss of a home or a house, you can know that it's going to be okay, because I'm not living for things that are dead, I'm living for things that are living eternally. Take away that pressure, God, because I don't want it anymore. Maybe some of you have been Christians a long time, but today you're going to fully find freedom in Christ, become the new creation, the person he created you to be. And maybe for others, you walked into this place, you're not sure what you would consider yourself, but you might want to take a first step towards learning more about God, because he says, I want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. I desire a relationship with you. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every individual who came in here, endured walking through your Easter story again, God. And I know it's so easy to put up walls and become jaded. I've done it so many times. And it's so much harder to let those walls be broken down and allow you to come in. The Bible teaches us you're our good heavenly father that runs to us indignantly with open arms. You want to put a ring on our finger and put a robe around our back because your son was or daughter was lost and now has come. And even if there is one person this Easter for the very first time, or maybe they've been considered themselves a Christian, but they've never really surrendered everything in their life. They've been living for things that they're not going to take with them when they're all dead and gone. And maybe they're here on this day, Easter 2018, and they're finally going to say, I want a life with you, Jesus. I believe in your resurrection, and I want to surrender everything. My time, my talents, my treasures, they are yours. I will no longer be ashamed of you. I don't care who knows it. I know I'm not perfect. I'm a little afraid to do this, but I'm going to start. I'm going to start living for you. If that's you in the room, I want to invite you to pray this with me. Pray it silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I am not perfect. And say this, I need you. And I confess with my lips that you are Lord. The Bible teaches us if you do that, you can have eternal salvation. If you believe and receive his grace, you know you spend eternity in heaven with him and aren't alone in this life now. So pray this with me. Right now, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you to do something here in a moment. If you prayed that right now, or even if you didn't, but you know you should have, I'm going to invite you on the count of three. I want you to, we're going to raise our hand and say, yeah, I did that. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would actually watch over you. I'm not going to have you do anything else, but don't be ashamed of his good news. If you're here in the room and you truly believe that and genuinely prayed that on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and we just want to celebrate because I believe God celebrates these things. Ready? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he's not done with you. Three, raise your hand nice and high because he wants you to follow him. And he is the sleeping giants of the faith sitting right here in this room. And I can't see them all. I don't know. Man, there's so many hands up. Guys, help me, guys. I don't know what's going on at this service, but I believe that God sees it. Just raise it high. Keep it up. Maybe there's even a couple of people that you didn't want to do it. Yeah, I see some more hands going up in the back, man. 
right here. Make, keep them up just for a moment and then just pray this with your hand raised. God, we are not ashamed to raise our hand right now and say we want to live for you. God, may you watch over each of these individuals. Protect them with your Holy Spirit. Help them to take next steps of faith. And we celebrate their willingness to follow you. And I'll invite you to put your hand down for a moment. And God, each of those people, may they wouldn't just walk out of here having raised their hand and prayed a prayer. That's a great first step. But God, may you surround them with just the right Christians in their life to encourage their faith. May you help them become the new creation you created them to be, God, to be fully alive in you. May they take next steps, go to first step, and then go to rooted, the 10-week experience coming up. God, use these lives. I thank you for your faithfulness, and we celebrate everyone here together. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.